Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Quote at AAA.com slash insurance and save by bundling auto and home. Hey everyone, this is John Rocco, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. It's the outlaw John Roker just taking a moment here before we start our spoiler review of the Book of Boba Fett episode five to remind you that this episode of the Geek Buddies is powered and sponsored by the fine folks over there at Carbon Health, their leading national health care provider with a mission to bring high quality health care to everyone. Urgent care, primary care, and virtual care is all offered by them. They've got 90 clinics in 14 states and they offer virtual care in 24 states for anything that you might need. They believe in making high-quality health care available to everyone and that everyone deserves good health, whether you're a Clatoonian, a Rhodian, a Mandalorian, or just a regular human. You deserve great, good health, and they come up with tailored plans just for you. So go to CarbonHealth.com and see if there's a place there near you if you've got any issues and you want to get checked out. And certainly for people who want to get COVID tested, they are offering testing there as well. And if you're going to go overseas, they have their, they have testing uh, facilities available for you there to get approved to go overseas with your test. So go to CarbonHealth.com and see if they can help you today. And now on to our spoiler review of episode five of the Book of Boba Fett. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new spoiler review episode for the Book of Boba Fett from the Geek Buddies. <laughs> hey! hey! Shannon better watch out. Someone's coming for his job. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. She's she's bringing her own flavor to it. That's for damn sure. That's a good flavor that we enjoy here on the show. We're excited to be, for you all to join us here. Yeah, we do have all four of us listed in the graphic because Shannon might 
be popping in if he gets offset in time. So we shall see. But we're going to jump into episode five here and talk about the return of the Mandalorian here. I came for a Book of Boba Fett episode and a Mandalorian episode broke out. So we're going to get into all of the things here and we're going to spoil it all. This is a spoiler review episode. This is one of your first of two warnings to let you know. Go and see the episode then come on back and hang out with us. But let's introduce ourselves first. I am the outlaw John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. Mike? I am Michael Vogel, writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And, you know, we've introduced Laura enough. Laura, you take it away. Tell us about Laura Kelly. <laughs> I got this. I uh, I am Laura Kelly. I host a podcast called Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour that you can find on all major podcast platforms. And I host The Jedi Way here with John right out here on his channel. And I talk about Star Wars on the Internet. So that's that's my whole vibe. And Laura has broken down. She's going to get herself a custom-made lightsaber, ladies and gentlemen. She tweeted it out. Mm -hmm. She's going to do it. Got to find a vendor. Got to find a guy to do it. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready. It's, it's time, you guys. You know, I think I might know a guy. You get your lightsaber. Oh, <laughs> I, have, I have two. I have two lightsabers. Neither custom. Well, I have one that mm -hmm. I got as a present um, for my friend Henry Gilroy on my 40th birthday. It is a badass purple lightsaber, and it's yeah. amazing. Sweet. One of the writers and, for Rebels, and, right? One of the writers for yep, Rebels. One of the right? writers uh, and producer. Uh, that Henry Gilroy? Oh my yes. God. Yeah. That was a, that I got a purple lightsaber from him on my 40th. And then I did uh, at Galaxy's Edge. I did the whole lightsaber thing and I got mm. a yellow lightsaber uh, at Galaxy's Edge. And not it's not quite as nice as my purple lightsaber, but the experience <laughs> did make me cry. So it has that going for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, let's get into the episode here. Um, we'll start with our overall thoughts. The Return of the Mandalorian. This one uh, written by John Favreau, but directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. And if I can say one thing before we get going, this is the episode that when you're thinking about finding a director for your film, this is the episode you show them to show what Bryce Dallas Howard can really do. First season, good episode. Second season, better episode. This episode was an incredible job. She's made such a jump leaps and bounds uh every episode that she's done here of the mandalorian or the book of boba fett incredible stuff here let's get overall thoughts mike let's start with you this was all mandalorian until fennec shan showed up in the dying embers of this episode were you surprised by this and what did you think overall of the episode here as the um in the first season to have no boba fett in an ep in a fifth episode of, of the first season so Overall, this episode's fantastic. I mean, yes. this episode's amazing. From this point forward, I'm only going to talk about all the great stuff in this episode, but I will say <laughs> the problem with this episode is yeah. exactly what you said. This is not an episode of the Book of Boba Fett. Right. This is not an episode of the Book of Boba Fett where Din Djarin shows up and gets involved in everything we've been watching up to this point. Right. This is top to bottom, 100% an episode of The Mandalorian. And I do think putting an episode of them, and as much as I screamed multiple times and was so happy to watch this episode, putting this episode in your series run of your first season of Book of Boba Fett kind of points out very glaringly some of the issues that Book of Boba Fett has. And even though I really enjoyed Book of Boba Fett up to this point, yeah. we've discussed some of the things that are a little bit uneven, some of the stuff that didn't really land, some of the pacing issues. Like, we've talked about some of the things. What is Boba's arc? Like, what is he really doing? Like, there's been some things along the way, along with all the really fun stuff, that we've been like, ooh, I don't know. And for this episode to come in and come out of the gate swinging and have Bryce Dallas Howard do what she did 
and have it be fully focused on Din Djarin and dive back into all of the things from Mandalorian season one and two, it just, the rest of the book of Boba, as good as a lot of it is, particularly mm-hmm. the second ep- the second chapter, does suffer a little bit by comparison because this was fucking badass. Yeah, Laura, please, your thoughts on the overall episode, but also the idea to install this at this time, at this point in the overall construction of the season. Was this something they knew that this maybe the first four episodes weren't as great as they were hoping? Or did this backfire on them now to create this uh, fight we've been seeing on social media between the defenders of Book of Boba Fett and the defenders of the Mandalorian or people don't like the Book of Boba Fett? What do you think of that and then the overall episode as well? You know, I have considered the question of like, did they originally intend to mm. release this with this season or was this sort of a backup in case maybe the first four episodes hadn't landed the way that they thought they would? I, it's a conspiracy theory. I think there's a chance that, that may have been the case, but you know, time will tell when we see what happens in this next coming week. But I got to say, this is the most that I've enjoyed the book of Boba Fett so far. And I'm not <laughs> apologizing for that. Despite <laughs> that Boba has been around for 40 plus years I have so much more invested in Din Djarin, in Grogu, even in Bo-Katan, than I do Boba Fett. So I might be singing a different tune by the time this season wraps up, but for now, I was very happy to have this little slice of like Star Wars comfort and familiarity that we got um, in this pseudo-Mandalorian episode. Uh, Yeah, that's what I'll say about it for overall. I do. I mean, I was talking to some friends, and I do wonder if... They were like, well, when we have Din Djarin show up at the end of the season, I, I can see a world where you're like, well, when Din Djarin shows up, he's going to have to show up in a really, in his new, in his new ship. Oh, well, so are we going to go in season three and do the flashback episode of how he got his ship? Oh, I don't know if we want to do that. You know what? Why don't we just do this episode and catch up with him and get him where we need him to be yeah. so that he's ready for whatever we're doing in the two part finale. Um, so maybe that's where it started from. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I. It, it's it's a tough thing for me to say because I think the you're a showrunner, Mike. You know, well, like so the, where yeah. you schedule the episodes matters. Yeah, the executive part of my brain says mm, you really probably should have put some more boba in here. So mm-hmm. it felt like Din Djarin was coming into Book of Boba, not that we just fr- straight up got a Mandalorian episode. But I'm also kind of with Laura in that I loved. Mm-hmm my full Mandalorian episode. I loved every, like top to bottom mm-hmm. from this point forward, we're just going to talk about everything I love because there's not a damn thing that I didn't love in this episode. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not mad at it. I do question the, the, the wisdom of it a little bit. Yeah. I'm with both of you questioning the wisdom of it for sure. But that being said, whatever negative feelings you might've had about book of Boba fed, or like maybe you felt it's a little bit stagnant at times, getting an episode like this now shakes that out of you a little bit and get you looking forward to seeing what we're going to get in these next two episodes as an essential season finale. That's a two-part season finale. You imagine. I loved this episode. In fact, I would go far enough to say this might be in my top three, top five episodes of The Mandalorian because it was so well done. They got the tone right. The switches in in comedy completely worked. This was old school Star Wars, or rather the best of Star Wars, when you get it 100% right. The stakes were there, the drama was there, but the moments of humor that were there as well and worked really, really well. And the moments of respect and references to previous stuff in Star Wars that they, in a way, kind of either redeemed or reminded people who loved the prequels about. So I think this was 
so brilliantly done, so well constructed, and having a little more. I mean, they go from one section, which is very super serious about the Mandalorian culture, to another section with Pelimoto, which has all this humor around it to where she's speaking Jawa, for God's sakes, swiping right on Tinder on the Jawa picture. I mean, I just love that idea on so many levels. So to me, just absolutely enjoyed the hell out of this episode. And if nothing else, it doesn't make me hate the Book of Boba Fett or think it's worse. It just made me think, okay, this is what I love to see. Now let's see what they do with this going into the next two episodes. So we shall see. And and just to be really clear, because... It's Star Wars, so I want to be <laughs> yes, very crystal clear. To be. I still very much like Book of Boba Fett yes. as a show. Yes. I don't think it's as solid as particularly the second season of Mandalorian. Right. And I do think I'm with Laura. I I grew up with Boba Fett. I think I am a little bit more invested in Din Djarin and Mandalore and the Darksaber and Bo-Katan and that whole story right. than I am currently in Boba Fett taking over um, crime, the, the crime worlds of Star Wars. I still like the show, despite its flaws and some things that I don't think are great about it. And I'm still excited to see where it goes. But holy shit, this was yeah. a real a real treat, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> and remember, the first two seasons of, of Mandalorian had some of their critics as well. Oh, it's a, it's a villain of the week. It's a this and that. And so well, having this kind of work in a certain way to kind of reinforce how much you do enjoy the Mandalorian, I think, was a smart move on their part. Well, uh, and to your well. point, one yep. of the episodes in season one that was like maybe a little bit critiqued was Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. Right. Yes. You know, the Seven I Samurai mean, like episodes. it's yeah. a it's a it's a cool episode. It's good, but like with everything going on and us being excited, that was one where we're like, yeah, that was fine. Right. And to see her go from there to season two to this episode, you're like, damn, girl, the women directors of Star Wars oh, yeah. are killing it. Yeah, absolutely. Funny. I mean, I, I have not, like, all respect to the Resistance broadcast, but I haven't been, like, make Solo 2. I haven't been one of those guys that's, like, make Solo 2 happen. Solo was fine. It's certainly a very watchable Star Wars movie. Seeing Bryce Dallas Howard doing what she did here was the first time in my mind where I was like, she could take over for her dad and deliver an even better sequel if they even consider doing a Solo 2. I would be very interested to see her take on the whole thing for sure. Uh, but let's get into the episode. This is our filer, final uh, warning here. Uh, this is a spoiler review episode, so if you haven't seen it, go and watch it and come on back and join us. So unfortunately, some of my notes got lost here, so I'm just going to do with this in chunks, in sections of the episode. So I'll give a little bit of background. We're doing it live. And then that's right. And the three of us are going to talk <laughs> about it here. Uh, so that there's this, so this opening scene here, we immediately see the Mandalorian walking through a butcher curtain, which was kind of so weird. I half expected to see a space Rocky punching the sides of meat that we saw there hanging in this butcher shop. He's going to meet uh, uh, these Clatoonians here, these kind of dog-like species that we got uh, introduced to us in the last episode. He is hunting someone, and and there he is, surrounded by these Clatoonians in that office, ends up bringing out out that uh, uh, holographic image of the guy says it looks nothing like me that looks like of course all of us are like i can't tell the difference from these guys at all so it's a great little funny moment to have there and then they surround him he warns them hey i can take you in cold or i can take you in warm which is a line from the first episode of the mandalorian and then mando whips out the dark saber and goes to town in an incredible way walks out there with the head of the clatoonian looks at the other clatoonians who had been there as the worker bees in essence in that shop and says y'all can have some new republic credits just let me walk through but during that fight Dejarn has been injured by the dark saber which kind of shows us that he's having trouble wielding it 
and learning how to use it as well as he uses his other uh, weapons here, goes out, ends up at this uh, place, this kind of floating city here that's very reminiscent of Elysium. For those of you who have seen it, this kind of semicircle city, uh, it's fascinating and so well done here. Ends up uh, trying to deliver the head so he could get some reward so he can find out more information on how to get to Grogu, how to get to where he needs to go. The person there is this kind of eagle-like species uh, person there. Initially doesn't want to help him. He says, fine, I'll just take the head and go someplace else to get some money. Then eventually surrenders the information and he heads on down. So let's stop here. What an opening scene here, Michael. The, the Mandalorian with the dark saber. Oh, my God. And then, of course, the Clatoonians, which could bear some fruit down the road if Mando gets involved in this thing with Boba Fett, considering one of those families that's involved in all this is Clatoonian. So what did you think about this intro here? And then, of course, the interaction with that uh, person that seems to be a little eagle-like as a species. Ishitim. Eagle, eagle species and Ishitib. You take it, man. Please. There you go. Go ahead. Um, um, no, I. It was. I mean, I think. I think in their minds they were trying to do this thing where when we see the silhouette, we're not sure if it's Boba Fett or Din Djarin, but yeah. that clearly didn't work because he showed up and I was like, "That's Din. That's Din Djarin. I know. I know who that is." <laughs> um, it's just a great scene. The what I what I was really struck by by this whole opening sequence. Yeah. Um, choosing to do it in sort of this meatpacking area. All yeah. the way into the space station. Every bit of it is that none of it felt like a Star Wars I had seen before. Mm. Even with the Clatoonians, because they're a relatively new species that I don't know that we've ever even seen in animation. I think it's kind of they're a, they're a newer uh, species to the Star Wars universe. So everything mm. about this whole sequence, um, because of Din Jarn coming in and doing his bounty hunter thing, he mm. grounded it. It felt like Mandalorian. I was like, this is it. But. I've never seen a meatpacking sequence in Star Wars before. Yeah. The Tunians all looked like they just stepped right out of a painting of dogs playing poker, and I was super <laughs> here for it. Um, and I was just really, it was all really, really, it all felt fresh and new. And I don't know if maybe it's just because we've spent four episodes uh, on Tatooine, and much like Anakin, I'm getting over the sand. But, like, it was just so fun to be in such a really different environment. Um, and holy shit, I mean, it was, the whole thing was great. The whole sequence, you know, just having the tracking thing. I'm looking for this guy. I don't know where that guy is. I think he's right here. That's not me. Like just the back and forth of it was so much fun yeah. um, in a way that, you know, you sort of, you know where it's going. It's expected, but they do it in such a fun way. And then when he whips out that dark saber, boy, I screamed <laughs> like I like I was eight years old. I was so excited to see him wield that thing. And the thing that I love about Din Djarin is he's a straight up badass. We all love him, yeah. but he's also fallible. Like he gets beat up, he gets yeah. bit. And he fucks himself up with that Darksaber, which I thought was a great detail. <laughs> that it wasn't, they didn't do the thing where somebody else grabbed it from him and did a thing like, he's just straight up, dude, you got a lightsaber. You gotta be careful. There's a reason that uh, Younglings, uh, train for a long time before they get to wield that thing it's not easy um chopping that dude in half it was and again I, i'm trying not to dog on boba fett because i really am enjoying it but like watching him beat the shit out of all these people flip this guy over a table take that dark saber and just slice him in half is kind of what i feel like i've been missing a little bit yeah um and so that was great then he walks up and out into the space station 
And again, it's just like, I've seen, you know, I, I've always, even when I was a little kid, loved the idea of these like space stations that kind of had their own gravity that could be mm. like circular curved. And this was exactly that. Like there's, it's something I've seen in science fiction before, never seen in Star Wars. And then just the little humor, you know, he gets in that elevator with uh, mm. with that one alien that is a, I wrote it down, Cascadag, uh, Cascadag. Uh, which first premiered okay. in Force Awakens, but has since shown up in Mandalorian. It's a newer alien species, but really cool looking. Um, I thought all the alien effects, like, you know, uh, we talked a lot about do we like the pikes, do we not like the pikes, but the Clatoonians were great. This Casadag in the elevator was great. And then getting up into this nightclub, get going to that Ishitib, that eagle-like looking thing, yeah. also great. Like all of the alien creatures I thought were really, really interesting. Super, super fun vibe with all of it. Um, and it just gave you in that opening sequence, you got you you just cl click the chart Star Wars boxes, mm -hmm. kind of a Western bounty hunter vibe mm -hmm. with Din Djarin. You get a lightsaber, you get some awesome badassery, really cool alien creature effects, neat planet or space station, and a nightclub. Like yeah. we're like, yeah, I've I've ticked all my Star Wars boxes, and we are five minutes into the show. <laughs> yeah, Laura, can you can you express? your feelings when you saw the silhouette there behind the butcher, butcher curtain and then everything that happened afterwards leading up to him getting the information because clearly he's going after Grogu. He's still wanting to find Grogu. Yes, I had the same thing in my notes I think that Michael probably did, which is we all knew immediately that that was Din Djarin, right? Like we all, we all know. We all knew. We were all on the same page. Um, I was so completely ecstatic to see him back and this whole opening sequence i think one of the great things about it was that i think we really got some of that like signature humor that we mm -hmm. got out of the mandalorian we're getting it's pulled back a little bit in the book of boba fett we still get like these little great moments of humor in kind of a different brand um so i'm glad that you know boba fett's different it's differentiating itself from the mandalorian but it really was nice to kind of be back in this familiar rhythm with this show, him pulling out the dark saber. Oh, man, I can't put into words how cool that was to see after that. I mean, think about where we left Din with this. I mean, he was like trying to hand it over to Bo-Katan being like, I yield, just take this thing off my hands. I don't want it. I didn't ask for this. I didn't know that the legend behind it, like my bad. And now he's like, he's full on being like, Hey man, I, I'm jumping ahead, but like this thing belongs to me. Yeah. And he really is kind of owning it right up until the point where he slices his own leg open. And I <laughs> I have to say though, I still really like that we're getting that side of Din Djarin mm -hmm. that we've been getting so far, even in, in season two of The Mandalorian, which is that he is he's not perfect at everything. He's we're watching him learn as he goes. Um, and I'm really excited to see kind of where his education with this lightsaber goes um with the dark saber i think it's going to be this is going to be a fun ride to be on when we eventually get back on it i suspect that we're not going to get much more of dinjar if anything in six and seven of this season but we'll see uh but this was it, it really was it was something and the fact that he <laughs> cuts off the head behind the plastic curtain was just another great detail because we get to yeah. see him we hear it ignite we hear something happen and it comes back out with the bag and i'm like yeah yeah this is just this is just perfect i i don't i have no criticisms whatsoever of this episode especially this opening sequence i do have one criticism we'll get to it later okay but this is just Ooh. this whole sequence is just so perfect and it was so mandalorian and so din Djarin and so on brand just nailed it 
Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, it, it, as Michael said, it checked all the boxes for me, the Western aspect of it all, him being surrounded and him giving that warning before he, he kicked a bunch of out. We've seen that in martial arts films. We've seen that in Westerns and he took care of business and the end beat of him slicing homie in half. I mean, that was awesome on the table. That was such a great way to end this. And I think you're, you're absolutely Mike, right, Mike. Whether we want to admit it or not, or whether we've been the most vociferous about it or not, missing a little bit of the badassery of Boba Fett has been an element of the first four episodes of this season. Needing to see him do something like this. And it's been an interesting choice to make him more of a kinder, more evolved Boba Fett, a more, you know, more about figuring out how to work with everybody kind of Boba Fett. And you get the counter here in Din Djarin, who is singularly focused. You know, his responsibility is only, I got to get to grow goo. Whereas he's, uh, Boba Fett's got a little bigger, a bigger uh, picture in mind for himself as he does what he's doing. But having him walk out and having him like have the back and forth with that person, no time is needing to be wasted here by him. It's like, give me the information because I got to get to the next thing. I can't waste time yeah. with you. Fine. You don't want to give it to me? I'm out. I'm going to go get somebody else and they're going to help me out, which of course forces the information to come out and want to give a shout out to uh Beskar underscore Kyber 15 Hannah here on, on, uh, on Twitter. She pointed out, listen, love Pedro Pascal, but also give some love to Brendan Wayne, who does the primary body slash stunts and Latif Crowder, who is the primary stance stunts slash body as well uh, throughout. So as much as we love Pedro Pascal's voiceover performance, got to give some love to the actors who were there under the costume doing all those badass stunts as well. So just want to sure. make sure we hit that, uh, that beat. All right, let's move on to the rest here of this. Uh, we, uh, Boba uh, ends up uh, using uh, the uh, directions that he's given here and puts on his infrared or hits the infrared thing on his helmet and sees all the different markings until he finds that Mandalorian marking, goes inside this door, and all of a sudden this is huge uh, area here uh, outside in space where he meets up with the armor and Paz Vizsla. Wow, this was a huge surprise for me. As a massive fan of the Mandalorian culture itself, to have the armor show up, to have Pez Vizsla show up, I was super surprised. We get a lot of info about how their sect survived, where they were at during the Great Purge, and the history of Bo-Katan. Uh, she asks him about the Beskar spear. She asks him about the Dark Saber. We also had the armor forge. Grogu a gift from the Beskar spear that Ahsoka gave Mando. She also then trains him on how to use the Darksaber um, right after Paz Vizsla has come up and reintroduced himself. They have this kind of cool moment where they're connecting and he thanks him for saving him, said, I didn't think I'd see you again. And as Paz Vizsla is fixing him, we see him eye, even through the helmet, we can see him eye that Darksaber and starts to have these weird questions about it. Even as he carries it to the armor, when the armor asks how Din Djarin was able to escape. You can tell uh, um, Paz Vizsla is turned on by getting this dark saber. As she's training him, she talks about how he's how he's not learning how to work with the blade. He's working against the blade, which makes it harder for him to wield it every single time he tries to move it. Then Paz Vizsla challenges him for the dark saber. He is bested by Mando. Um, and just before he's about to maybe cut him or do whatever he's going to do there, the armorer stops him. And then she asks him if he has ever removed his helmet in the past. 
after she's asked Paz Vizsla, which is some kind of rite of passage in a, in a battle, I imagine, in their particular sect of Mandalore. Uh, Paz Vizsla says, I've never moved my helmet. It's my commitment, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Din Djarin hesitates and then eventually tells her he has moved it. And now he must go purist, purify himself in the waters of Lake Minnetonka. No, that's a purple rain joke. No, it's the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore and even gets called an apostate by Paz Vizsla before he is sent out. So, Laura, what an incredible sequence here, getting us back into the Mandalorian, get us back into this Mandalore sect of the, the Mandalorian culture here, and also hearing a little bit more of the background about the Darksaber, about Bo-Katan, saying it's a trash, she's a, tra- uh, what, a cautionary tale for ruling, getting all this information here. What did you think about all these sequences, the training and the fight with Paz Vizsla, and then, in essence, the excommunication from the sect of, of uh, Din Djarin? Yeah, I mean, that. I'm going to start at the end of the sequence and then work my way back. But, you know, this is the point, right, this, this part where you ended this, uh, where he sort of gets rejected from this covert and yeah. she's got her back to him as he's walking away. Yes. She doesn't look back at him at any point. I'm just like, oh, that is full on rejection. That's cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the part where I looked down at the clock, I think, for the first time to be like, how far into this are we? We still have not seen Boba Fett, it was 25 minutes. That's the yeah. 20. We're right at the halfway mark of this episode. So it was, and then I did it again 10 minutes later. And like, now we're 30. We still, okay. The, the first time I watched it, I was still very much like expecting to see him at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but backing up, this, these speeches that she's sort of giving him, these monologues, number one, I love that we're getting more out of the armor. I'm so yeah. glad she's back. I love this character, but I'm seeing her now in a much different light. Good point, and Laura. Yes. I can't remember who it was. Unfortunately, I should have written it down, but I saw somebody on Twitter talking about how she's not a reliable narrator. And Oops. this is not something I considered at any point during season two of the, or during season one or two of the Mandalorian. So this was, this was really interesting to sort of spend some time thinking on, you know, she's talking about this cautionary tale of Bo-Katan and then how, you know, basically it's her whole house's fault that all of Mandalore right. fell, which is, kind of a lot to put on one clan but okay we get the whole breakdown of the night of a thousand tears which is something i think most of us never thought that we would see on screen definitely not in live action that was very very cool to get to see i know that that was that was a real moving moment i think in this episode it was definitely it it just it's going to end up being one of the standout scenes i think of this whole this whole season of the first uh of book of boba fett um but one of the things that the armorer was talking about was you know, only those who, the only ones who walked away from that night of a thousand tears were the people who were, you know, on Concordia, the way we escaped the curse prophesized in the creed. And at that moment, that's when I had to add my notes. I'm like, this is our biggest clue. I think that she's not the reliable narrator because what she's spewing here essentially is propaganda. And it starts to feel like that the more and more she talks and now I want to go back and watch all of the beginning of the Mandalorian again and watch all of her scenes and just be like, does it always feel like this? And I just never noticed it because that's really what she's getting at. And it's it's putting a really interesting spin on things. I also was sort of put off a little bit by by how much Din Djarin didn't take away from the last season. I mean, he met Bo-Katan, he met all these Mandalorians that don't wear helmets he learned that he was a child of the watch, which essentially is a cult, but he assumed, he doesn't really seem to be taking a lot of that to heart because he's now begging for forgiveness to get back into this sect. So it was 
it was a little bit interesting to sort of see him digress, I think, a little bit in that yeah. way. But, I, you know, this isn't his story. This is Boba Fett's story. So we'll get more into this in The Mandalorian, I imagine. But mm. I, uh, I I really like the sort of direction that they're taking with him, where he really is constantly on the search for knowledge. Yes, he's also constantly on the search for Grogu. But that's, I mean, that's sort of another point of contention where he... I think is sort of regressing a little bit. Like you just let him go. You just had that really emotional moment at mm -hmm. the end of season two where you said goodbye. And now all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know how long it's been. Maybe it's a couple weeks, couple months. You're already like, yeah, no, I want to go visit. I'm going to go yeah. find the temple. I don't know how he's going to find the temple, but the fact that he now wants to go visit, I think mm -hmm. is uh, it's, it's definitely telling about where his mind is and where it's going to be when we start season three of Mando. It's a dad thing, right? You just I just want to make sure he's okay. I just want to make sure he's okay. That's all. That's all I'm trying to do. But that's what you tell yourself. But in essence, you maybe he's second guessing the decision. And Michael Lore brings up an excellent point. What I thought about as well, like all of a sudden the armor becomes like one of these people that's leading a cult and saying, Hey, you know what? Keep us away from the mainstream. Most of those cults, David Koresh, Waco, all that stuff. I've been watching so many documentaries. It's about moving you away from the mainstream, blaming the mainstream, and claiming you have the pure knowledge of Mandalore. You have the true knowledge of how to survive and how everyone can survive. And as Laura pointed out, her turning her back, that's like Paul Sorvino and Goodfellas saying to Ray Liotta, I got to turn my back on you now. And that's that. And it's such an interesting, these interesting beats that all of a sudden are being laid out for you to consider and think about in this sequence and in the situation. And she doesn't stop Paz Vizla from threatening him or fighting him for the dark saber. There's a whole interesting approach to this kind of cult-like mentality. And I, you know, Laurie, bring it back some point to you, Michael, thoughts on this too. And, and I was reading Maggie Lovett's article in Collider about religious trauma. When you when a when you start to question your dedication to a religious sect, a cult, what have you, you don't know. It's not a you know, it's not a one day. Okay, that's it. I don't want to be a part of it. It's more a matter of a slow progression. So him asking for forgiveness while also maybe questioning it, he's still on his journey about where he fits in all of this mm -hmm. and what his final decision is going to be. So, what did you think about all of that in this whole sequence here uh, for yourself, Mike? Well, yeah, I mean, what struck me and kind of along what Laura was saying is that, look, when we watched season one of The Mandalorian, we were all thrown. If you were a nerd who had watched Clone Wars mm. and Rebels and were kind of familiar with Mandalore, uh, the whole we don't ever take our helmets off. We talked about it on the show. We're like, mm -hmm. the hell is this? Is this a new rule? Like what? I don't understand. Like we were so we the armorer was the only information we were given either as right. well. It's not until season two when Bo-Katan and the others show up and take their helmets off right away. And they're like. Oh, you're one of those crazies. And we're like, oh. And we never saw the armorer again after that. Like, like so seeing the armorer now, we are seeing her in a new context because we now understand, oh, he grew up in a crazy religious cult of Mandalorians. Like these are the and 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 now and we got some of that filled in. And I think Laura's right. I don't think she's a reliable narrator. I also don't think she's 100% wrong yeah. in every in everything she said. I think some of it is a little bit propagandish for sure. Um, but like the other thing that I just really appreciate about this whole sequence is this is a great sequence in how it serves two masters. Mm. If you are not a Star Wars nerd, and even though a lot of you listening to this are Star Wars nerds, some of you are probably like some of some people watch this because they're like, I need to know this information. I don't watch all these shows. If you're not a Star Wars nerd, this gives you a Cliff's Notes on Mandalore. Like mm -hmm. this is like, yeah. here's, here's kind of what you need to know. 
in the barest sense of like, this is all stuff that happened in the history. You learn about Tar Vizsla being a Mandalorian Jedi, and that's where the Darksaber came right. from. You learn about the Night of a Thousand Tears. You get a bunch of information. If you, like we are, are a hardcore nerd who has watched Clone Wars and Rebels and all of this stuff, this is like Christmas came early and you don't even know what to do with yourself because all of these things that we've seen in animation are being referenced. We are seeing things in live action. Like they're, I mean, they're, they're, they didn't say Sabine's name, but she certainly references Sabine when she says Bo-Katan was given yeah. the Darksaber because it's Sabine who gave it to her. So there's just so much goodness in this entire sequence um you know as soon as the other guy uh the other mandalorian said his name was paz vizsla yeah. uh i was like oh shit like you like i already knew where that was gonna go I'm like, yeah well, he okay. wants that dark saber back for sure yeah um everything was really interesting um much like laura when we saw uh the night of a thousand tears oh uh and we see the tie bombers and we see the Imperial probe droids, yeah. and we see uh, the KS uh, units, the Imperial KS droids, kind of shooting everything down. And we see the domed cities of Mandalore exploding. Like I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this is, I, I want this movie. Like I want to see this, and I think we're we are going to see more of it in season three of The Mandalorian. Um, everything with the dark saber was great. His trouble with the dark saber was great. One thing I'm surprised Laura didn't touch on is Grogu's getting Beskar armor. <laughs> Yeah, he is. <laughs> like, I the whole thing about the spear was interesting. I thought it was really yeah. interesting how she was like, uh, a Beskar weapon is not cool. Like, Beskar yeah. is armor. Beskar is protection. A Beskar weapon can pierce our armor, so it is a danger to us. It has to be destroyed. And he just gives it right up, which was interesting. But then when he's like, I want to make armor. I want to make something for the Foundling. And you're like, Grogu is getting fucking Beskar armor. Are you <laughs> fucking kidding me right now? I. I don't know what's in that little package he has, but I cannot wait to see it. Uh, I've seen some people surmising on Twitter that Grogu is going to survive the attack on Luke's Jedi Temple because he's in Beskar armor. And I was like, oh. yep, I'm in. Cool. Great. I'll take that it. Makes sense. Um, and kind of to your point about religious trauma, I also do yeah. think it's interesting that Din Djarin does know now that this isn't the only way that Mandalorians live. He's met Bo-Katan. He's yeah. seen that there's other sides to the Mandalorian, uh, the Man Mandalore's history. And Boba but Fett. He does, but he does go right back. Like, he, this is what he knows. This is what he understands. He still wants to fit in here. He wants to belong here. He still tries to follow the creed, but he also won't lie. And yeah. so, you know, like that is kind of the thing that does him in at the end there. So, I mean, I just think this was a great sequence because it jumped Din's story forward a ton, yeah. um, getting stuff for Grogu, finding out he doesn't want to give up Grogu, being turned away by the armorer and kind of getting kicked out of his sect. Um, like, so giant jumps forward for him to get him where they want him to be for season three of Mandalorian. Uh, and then, like I said, just like a treasure trove of Easter eggs and information um, about Mandalore and the Darksaber and really seeing how much of what exists in Clone Wars and Rebels is going to be straight into the live action world of Star Wars moving forward. Yeah. And also, I, I will say this, you know, some people have been, we, we talked about it at the beginning of this review, you know, oh, comparing Book of Boba Fett with, uh, with uh, the Mandalorian and saying this is a Mandalorian episode, the middle of, Bo middle of the Book of Boba Fett. I get that. But these things are going to pay dividends. I have a feeling in the Mandalorian, as Michael just pointed out, but also in the book of Boba Fett, what is the conversation Boba Fett is going to have with the Mandalorian 
Is this a, a conversation about different philosophies, different sects of Mandalore? What is that conversation going to be about? Because he's a clone versus Bo-Katan versus the Mandalorian. So what are these conversations and approaches to the entire uh, culture of Mandalore? What is that going to be about? And is that going to be a conversation that they have that maybe influences uh, Din Djarin to go to the next level in his thinking about breaking away from this sect? Because mm -hmm. remember, they found him as an orphan. So in essence, these this sect is his parents. So it's not so easy to walk away from your parents, even though they may hurt you or you discover that some of their philosophies aren't exactly correct. It's not easy to break free. So it would take some time for him to break out of it. And that feels more realistic. And seeing his journey through the first two seasons and in this episode is is really a powerful thing that they're laying down. And Bryce Dallas Howard, those shots of the night of a thousand. I, it reminded me of the beginning of Bumblebee when you saw the war on Cybertron. You're like, give me that yeah. movie. I want to see that yeah. movie. So, yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next sequence. And I'm going to run all these together so we can talk about it overall. We get a scene with, you know, my man doesn't have the Razor Crest. So homie's got to fly Southwest. He's got to fly commercial. <laughs> and we see him bordering, uh, I mean, boarding this uh, commercial ship. And we have this old school joke scene from so many funny action movies where you see him take off all his weapons and put it into this case, he, he, I can't remember the name of the droid. I'm sure you guys will score me on this. I think it's from Star Tours or something, but he takes the ticket from the droid, gets on the commercial flight, has a fun little exchange with a young Rodian there on the ship, lands on Moss Eisley and reunites with Peli Moto. Yeah, Amy Sedaris, who was teased, I think last episode or, or two episodes ago, walking by, there she is, full bore. He ends up saving her from being uh, attacked by this uh, creature there on Moss Eisley. And then she offers him a ship to replace the Razor Crest. I put dot, dot, dot for now. The ship is an N1 starfighter that was commissioned by the Queen of Naboo. They build this thing together after uh, Din Djarin's initial hesitancy in accepting this ship. And she soups it up real nice. We get to know the Jawa a bit more, so does he, which I put might come in Not handy. Not as good as Peli knew them. Yeah, right. I was going to say, we find out Peli dated a Jawa, and I put, where is that series? And then finally, we roll out the ship, and it is glorious. Look, I'm no prequel lover. I'll put it on the table. But seeing that ship and the way they souped it up, it made me kind of t have second thoughts about it. And then seeing him take that thing out for a test drive, going through Beggar's Canyon, and, and then he's in the, then he ends up getting stopped when he goes out into space by these two X-wing fighters, and one of them is piloted by Carson Teva, who ends up re recognizing Mando's voice and starts to question him about the Razor Crest and some Imperial remnants on Navarro. Uh, but before he can answer those questions, Mando, like a good little rebel, takes off fast as hell. Uh, before they can finish questioning him, and those uh, the two X-wing fighters go, ah, we're not going to do the paperwork. We're out of out of here. Then he ends up back at Pelimato's, where Fennec Shan seeks his help to join her and Boba Fett in the fight, and he agrees to help on the house. But first, he has to pay a visit to a little friend, and that's the end of the episode. Michael, so much to discuss here, so much to explore. Great comedic beats, but then also some really awe-inspiring moments here, brought to you by one of the most unusual characters in Star Wars in Peli Motto. What did you think about all of this here? And certainly you've gone back and kind of reappraised your point of view on uh, the prequels as well. And so what did you think about all of this? Yeah, I mean, just, God, where to even begin here? Uh, 
the entire sequence, like him, him, him doing having to take a commercial flight, I think was great. Uh, I love that we got an R3X. Love the R3X droid or Rex. Uh, you know, we've already seen an R3X droid uh, in Sanctuary working the tables. Uh, and so I, I love that the R3X droid, which is the star, the original Star Tours droid from the original Star Tours, has now just sort of become one of the base models of droids just like protocol droids or astromechs or anything else that we see in the star wars universe and they're popping up all over the place and of course if you're flying a commercial airliner you're going to have the r3x droid that is what he was created for um so i thought that whole sequence was great i thought for a minute something was going to happen where he's going to lose that dark saber when he put it in this like i thought so and then i and then like it turns out like i think that was just to really illustrate why it sucks for a bounty hunter to have to take commercial flights so it was a really got kind of fun moment um, you know, him seeing the little Rod- Rodian um, on the ship was cute. And just him, they did such a nice job. Again, just really great Mandalorian-style storytelling. Him sitting there, sees a cute little kid, yeah. a little green kid who waves at him. And he holds up his little wrapped-up Beskar, whatever it is that he's made for Grogu, in a little thing that's wrapped up to look like Grogu's face. Right. As the score <laughs> then goes into the Grogu theme that was in the Ahsoka episode when we first learned Grogu's actual name. Like, it was just, you were like, he loves him so much. And I love them so much. And I just want them to be together forever. Like, it was such a beautiful, lovely moment. Um, get it, you know, then he get yeah, then we get, I really wish Shannon was here today. Yeah. I'm really curious of his opinions on our girl Pelimoto. Like I, I, I know that he's not the biggest fan of her as a character and he feels like that humor didn't really work. I feel like at this point she has just become a Star Wars tattooing fixture. Like mm-hmm. I accept her in this world. I enjoy her in this world. I enjoy her ragtag group of droids. Um, you know, it was nice to see my pit droids again. Uh, it was nice to see, um, what's his face from episode four, red R2D2. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Oh, R5. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that R5 has had quite a journey from episode four <laughs> in 1977, but mostly, and I think like most people on Twitter lost my shit when I saw that little BD1 droid or yeah. the BD unit, not necessarily BD1, but for people who don't know the little cute droid on the two legs who was adorable, even for a droid, adorable levels like exceeded, um, is the BD-1 droid is from uh, the video game Jedi Fallen Order. And I realized what a connection I had to this droid because playing the game, like, you go through some stuff with BD. Like, he's your boy. And so seeing that droid made me so happy. And then, to your point, um, just seeing that Naboo fighter. I, like John, the prequels have not always been my favorite movies. (laughs) I still don't think that they are necessarily the best movies. I agree. But... Thanks to Clone Wars, the animated series, the prequel era, I'm pretty much sold on. Like, I love the prequel era. Arguably, it might be one of my more, uh, it might be one of my favorite eras. The High Republic is giving it a run for its money right now. But uh, I love that era. And I remember when I saw episode one, I didn't love the Naboo fighters because they were so sleek and it didn't feel Star Wars to me. I loved the X-Wings. I loved the Falcon and these sleek yellow ships. I was kind of like, I don't know about this. They've really grown on me. And seeing it that seeing it here, uh, I got really teased out about it. And then the subtle changes they made, kind of pulling back on the yellow, the changes they made, yeah. kind of like making the sides of it like almost like uh, 
pod racing beefy in the way they really made those engines. Like, I think they did a great job. I, I know that it's a not a very practical ship for a bounty hunter. He has nowhere to put his bounties. So I know that at some point he will probably have to get some kind of bigger ship. But I hope he keeps this one because, holy shit, it was absolutely just amazing. Um, and the entire sequence, it was one of those sequences that it the whole him flying the ship through Beggar's Canyon, mm. kind of doing the pod racing track, uh, somebody on Twitter pointed out that the uh, the one area is even uh, the one sign is still broken from where Anakin broke it in the pod <laughs> racing fight. Like like just all the little details were not necessary, but they were gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, and another thing I didn't realize, but I saw somebody point out, even the way that Bryce Dallas Howard um, shot him in the cockpit, uh, kind of angled up because when you really Ooh. I found this out on Twitter when you really shoot somebody in the cockpit of a ship that's the only place you can put a camera so that's the angle you get when you're actually in a cockpit and a lot of times in Star Wars we get other angles that don't really make sense uh, practically and so the fact that they had that practical thing kind of shooting up at him as he's flying through the canyon and then up into space like the whole thing was just joyful it was joyful filmmaking did the sequence need to be that long? It didn't need to be. Did I love every single second of it? A hundred percent. Yeah, then him shooting off with the X-Wing fighters, like another great moment. Like it was just vintage, silly, fun Star Wars. He's like, later, bitches. Took <laughs> off and then gets down there and Fennec shows up. And then I was super fascinated because in my mind, okay, well, Din Djarin is going to be here. And he's going to help Boba. So it's like, he's like, yeah, I'm down. Uh, I'll do it for free. I'm in. I'll help. I'm like, okay, well, so that's going to go to the next episode. And he's like, but first I got to go see a little friend. And I'm like, okay, well, I, I do want to know what happens with Boba and the Pikes, but can we just go with with Mando? Because uh, please, I want to I want to see Grogu too. Like, I yeah. want to go with him. I got a feeling we are. I think that's going to be season three. Whatever. I think from this, like he goes off, that's all going to be season three. And then he comes. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to work out timeline wise for this fight with the pikes because the fight with the pikes is not going to be tomorrow it's, it's going to take some time to build towards it so maybe that whole thing where he goes off is season three uh so we shall see we shall see though because i mean i i don't expect grogu to show up some people are saying they think he might show up next episode i'm like no, that would be weird for me okay well, anyway laura talk to me about this whole sequence what worked for you did anything not work for you and what was your feeling after Fennec Shan uh, made the offer here to uh, Din Djarin? Well, starting with checking our weapons on the commercial Starliner, this is one of those scenes that I was sort of surprised looking back on it that they left in. Because if they had ended it with, oh my God, the Darksaber's gone when he gets to Tatooine, like, I would sort of understand the point. And I think in the hands of the wrong director, we would have suffered from some pacing issues with this scene. Because again, it kind of didn't need to be there. It wasn't right. like... It, we could have just swept right past it and made this another 38 minute episode. But you know, the fact that we got another 52 minute one and it was the Mandalorian one, like yeah. that's, that's awesome. Um, but I, I like the way that they handled it. The, the humor was perfect. The pacing was perfect. And I'm glad that they left it in because it worked for me. Um, the <laughs> universal experience of having a child turn around and just stare <laughs> you down, whether it be in a restaurant <laughs> or an airplane, <laughs> that was, that was fun to get to see. I was irritated on his behalf because I'm that person that gets irritated irritated when that happens because I'm heartless but the like it just it sort of ripped my heart out a little bit because yes this child was like green like Grogu and he has the little Grogu pouch in his in his lap and by the way Joseph Scrimshaw had a great tweet about uh 
always giving people presents in the shape of their heads um, that I really appreciate. <laughs> it was my favorite thing I saw from this scene. Um, but I, it was one interesting point was that in the, the concept art that we got at the end, originally, I guess the plan was that this was going to be a human child. And the fact that they made it yeah. a green alien, mm -hmm. I thought was an interesting choice. Uh, definitely made, they made a good turn, I think, at some point. Um, I did not play Jedi Fallen Order, but I was also very excited to see BD because he is very cute. Um, <laughs> I hope we get more of these droids. I couldn't tell if she had more than one running around in the garage, but I welcome them coming back at any time. Um, I think we got some really great moments with Din Djarin and the droids in this. Just another yeah. reminder of how far he really has come. Yeah, that's a really um, good point, Dora. In yes. progressing with these droids. I mean, he looks over at him at one point and goes like, thanks, little guy. And I'm like, oh. I'm so proud of Din. Like, this is just, it's just so perfect. And I, I like Pelimato. I like having her in Star Wars. You know, you, John's talking about paying dividends. And I think that we got that a little bit. We really laid the groundwork for her mm -hmm. so, slowly, I think, and gradually in The Mandalorian. And we're getting these great character moments between her and Din Djarin now. And we're getting the payoff of, oh, by the way, now you get an N1 Starfighter. Um, so yeah, prequel fans were living their best life. I think with this episode for sure. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thought that that was a pod racer at first. I've been convinced at some point we were going to see a pod race maybe in the show being on Tatooine. We didn't. This is the close we got, closest we got, but I was still happy to see it because uh, I do love the N1s and the Phantom Menace that will always have a, a warm place in my heart. So I've, I've never, that was the first Star Wars movie I ever saw. I didn't know that yeah. they weren't supposed to look sleek. So I, I'll always love the N1s. Um, there, my one criticism of this episode it's very minor was that there are just so many moments in this one with max lloyd jones felt particularly big for me was that where i could just feel them like winking at the audience mm. so many times it may have been like all of the easter eggs it, but it just felt a little bit forced at times and i just wish i wish they would have reined it in like maybe 20 percent so that it wasn't so much like ah get it did you get it did you get the little reference there i i just didn't need that much of it i like the little fan servicey bits that we get but I get, just pulling it back a little bit mm -hmm. i would have been fine with i'd say that and we got the word wizard showing up in this episode <laughs> and i did really wizard. enjoy that this episode wizard. said kidster rights and i was here for that Wizard um, and Dank Farrick. Those are my, yes. my takeaways. Farrick, yeah. yeah, a lot of great moments in this. Um, and then, yeah, the fact that he tosses back the money and says, hey, it's on the house. You know, I love the sort of like warm greeting that we got with Fennec. I mean, think about where Din and Fennec first met and where they are now, where she greeted him so warmly with a smile and threw the money at him and just said, come help us out. It'll be fun. He's like, that's nah, on the house. It's all good. I just love their journey. And I love how it ended there. I will say the very end of the scene, I think is where I sort of felt Boba's presence a little bit, mm -hmm. because I was thinking about how, you know, he had told Fennec, like, no, I want to be out amongst the people. I can walk on my own two feet. I want to be, you know, out seeing people. I need to be seen. But he had faith enough faith in her in this instance, at least to send her out on her own to go yeah. get, to go get uh, Din Djarin. So I think that there's, there's a little bit that speaks to their sort of friendship, their relationship evolving um, and that trust evolving with them. But that was, that was as close as we got to a, a Boba appearance, I think in this episode, which is fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll leave. That's all I have on that. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, what was great is you see Fen that's the most loose and relaxed. You've seen Fennec Shan through the entire book of Boba Fett. Uh, she's yes. been making her comments. She's been trying to guide uh, Boba through how to um, rule this empire or manage this empire. But her like skipping off those two cargo boxes, jumping on down. And by the way, this is a woman 
who's 60 years old, just casually doing this with no problem. It was fantastic to see, and they're tossing the money uh, and having smiles for Din Djarin. And, and also, this is also the most relaxed I've seen Manda in, in this whole sequence with the droids. Laura so astutely pointing out how far he's come with the droids and all of that. And in a little bit of symbolism, and, you know, Mike, you know, Mike always likes to call me out when I go too far on the symbolism, but this the fact that they are like adjusting the N1, making it more sleek, changing it to be a little more streamlined is a way to kind of say, you know, we adjusted the prequels. The same thing Clone Wars kind of helped people enjoy the prequels. This is kind of a symbolic moment of them changing this N1 a little bit to be more palatable to everybody and enjoy it more openly. So I feel like that's a, there's a little bit of symbolism there. Uh, for sure but souping it up i mean when people talk about the american graffiti references with the mod squad a couple episodes ago this is also a reference to that i mean putting cars together i tweeted the grease grease lightning uh, sequence there because this is very (laughs) similar to stuff for people who know about cars so clearly john favreau and uh robert rodriguez and dave filoni that this thing about cars is a big thing throughout this whole season of the book of boba fett and them souping up the n1 was certainly part of that don't you think mike the mechanic jargon in that scene my god yeah Yeah, (laughs) right i I stop right even on my other notes i stopped writing it down because i'm not a cars guy so i was like i don't understand half of what they're saying i do think uh, what i will say that's interesting i disagree with you a little bit uh on your symbolism of the n1 as far as your intention but only because i know because i've had this argument yeah. Um, I've talked to, um, you know, I know I know a few people, a handful of people that wrote on Clone Wars and wrote mm. on Rebels and have worked with Filoni. And I made the mistake, I think I've said this before, I made the mistake once of saying that I liked how what they did fixed the prequels. Right. And I, liked, and I got an earful because, <laughs> and, and if you watch Filoni in interviews, he, this is where he comes from and it's where all of the writers on Clone Wars and Rebels come from. They don't think the prequels need to be fixed. They might they might feel like certain parts are maybe a little clunky or whatever, but they're mm-hmm. like they say, look, everybody had an opinion of what Star Wars was. George Lucas didn't want to retread everything and do the same old thing. He did something super different from a design standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, and we aren't fixing it. We are continuing to tell the story that he wanted to tell in a deeper way. And they and look, I don't know that I fully believe that. I think <laughs> that the movies definitely have their their weak points, but. They firmly believe that. And so I think that The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett being a continuation of Filoni's love of all of the Star Wars universe, I don't think them modifying the N1 uh, Starfighter is a, hey, let's take something from the prequels and make and fix it because it was cheesy, but we'll make it cool. Mm-hmm. I think this was a celebration of okay. Fair enough. the N1 fighter and how cool it actually is yeah. and how a lot of people, myself included, maybe didn't give it a fair shot when I first saw it because I had an expectation. Whereas people like Laura who saw it for the first time were like, no, that's cool. Yeah. And so to me, them changing the ship the way they did wasn't a let's make it cooler. It was, hey guys, we're just here to remind you that you were fucking wrong and this ship is a badass. And they sold me on it because I want to go buy Dinjarin's oh. N1 Starfighter now. I want I want that toy. Immediately. Immediately. Do you think he's going to come back with uh, Grogu in the uh, in the droid uh, position of the uh, N1, or do you think I he's going to take a droid with him? Grogu is 1,000% going to be in that little back part <laughs> at some point in life. I don't know if it's happening sooner or later, right, right. but that's, that's happening. Um, I don't know. I don't know that we're going to see Grogu in these next two episodes of Book of Boba. I, I kind of think Din Djarin's coming back, but I, maybe he won't. Like, I'm not sure. I'm, 
the the I need to go see my friend did throw me because I think I just had an expectation that Din was going to be in for the final battle of whatever's happening in season one. John, you make a good point, which is I don't think this war for the Pikes is going to with the Pikes is going right. to be done. I don't know where this I don't know where Book of Boba season one is ending, but I do think there is a further story. And so I do think that Boba and Fennec and what's going on with him can wind their way into season three of Mandalorian and season three of Mandalorian can wind its way back into book of Boba. So I do think there's going to be a give and take in those stories, but I will say that, like I said earlier, I'm way more invested in finding out what Din Djarin made out of Beskar for Grogu (laughs) than I am in seeing what happens with Boba Fett and the Pikes, even though I do want to see uh, Black Kersitan and Fennec and Boba and the Pikes. Like I'm into all of that, and I'm very, I'm very intrigued to see where the the series uh, ends its first season. But boy, this this episode really got me, uh, got me mandoed up. Yeah, I, I saw rings, and I spoke to a friend of mine about this, and they were like, it could be chainmail. Yeah, and that didn't even occur to me, and I was like, oh my god. And so that's when- the popular theory, I think, right now, yeah. and it'll be. Yeah, we live in world. That's how he survives. I didn't even we, think about that. I didn't even go that. Yeah, and I'm not, that's what I read. I, I didn't come up with that, but somebody else said Ooh. it. I don't know that Grogu is going to be around Luke's temple by the time everything yeah. goes down with the Knights of Ren. I think he's back with Din Djarin doing something. But the fact that we live in a world where over the course of the next ten years, we are going to have a little Yoda Jedi in Beskar armor, I. Guys, I, I didn't see it coming. 2022 <laughs> no. throwing me for a loop again. Well, we hope so. If he survives. Uh, Laura, um, going into these final two episodes, and Mike, uh, right after Laura here, what do you anticipate that we're going to see over these next two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett now that we've had this kind of Mandalorian episode here laying a little bit of groundwork uh, about uh, through the whole season? Well, I think you're right in that it's we're probably heading in towards like a two-part finale. Mm-hmm. Um, my theory at this point is that we're probably going to lose a battle here by the end of this oh. of season one. I'm not sure if we're going to, I don't, I don't really see us ending up on top in this war against the Pikes. Um, I see, I foresee maybe bringing in like other um, crime syndicates potentially. I mean, we, we've seen little hints of like the huts being around, but right. then gone. And now the Pikes are here. And now, I mean, I, I just have to think that like, that makes the most sense that we would eventually have to pull in, a bigger group because so far we're just moving one at a time and grabbing in new allies just one at a time. Like you, you got to move a little bit faster if you're going to take on the pikes, I think. So I'm, I'm hoping that there's maybe a, a bigger group coming. Um, but I think that there, there's maybe a lesson to be learned here and it's going to come in the form of a losing battle mm. um, by the time the season is over. That's just my theory. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but that, that's what I'm thinking. We do have to keep in mind that I think we're getting a Dave Filoni directed episode at some yeah, next. point. Next. Uh, the next, yeah. So that begs the question because when Dave Filoni directs, we often get these, we get fun easter eggs out of his episodes i think too i don't think he pushes it as far as maybe they did with this one but we tend to get bigger easter eggs i think inserted into some of his episodes so i'll be really curious to see what he pulls in to this episode and then how that ends up affecting the finale i'm i don't know i don't think it's going to be like ahsoka big or anything but like maybe a different rebels character i don't know i'm not sure but i I feel like that he has the tendency to do that and he gets the first rights to these characters and getting to use them in live action right so i'll be curious as to which one he chooses to bring in if any 
Yeah, what do you anticipate we'll see, uh, Mike, over the next two episodes? I saw people speculating Luke would come back uh, and all these like a force user being involved in this against the Pikes. And Laura makes an excellent point. Could we have an Empire Strikes Back ending to this first season of the of the Book of Boba Fett? Could they lose? Uh, we'll get the fight, which a lot of people were saying, well, we, they might push the fight in the second season, which would be a massive mistake. Have the fight now, but lose and maybe learn the lessons. And maybe this changes Boba into season two. But what do you anticipate we'll see in these like next two episodes? I mean, I do think that if they do have Boba lose the battle uh, over the course of everything else that's happened this season, I think we're going to get a lot of people saying, what do you do with Boba Fett? Uh, I, <laughs> that's I think, the point. I, I think there'll be a lot of uh, heated discussion about that, if that is the way that goes. Um I don't know. I I think that there will. I think we are going to kind of go into that two parter. And like I said, I mean, like at this point in the in Mandalorian seasons one run, we had just come out of like that prison episode, I believe. Right. Maybe there was one other one, and we were all kind of like, "Look, I'm into this. Where's it going?" And then they stuck that landing so hard. Yeah. Um. And so I'm curious to see how they're going to take everything that has happened thus far. Uh, with the Tuscans, with the Mayor, with the Major Domo, with Sanctuary, with Black Kersotan, with the Huts, with the Pikes. And if they can do what they did with season one of Mandalorian and give us basically a, a feature's length uh, out of these two episodes of an epic battle, you know, I mean, I, we talked about this before. We never saw the bodies of some of those Tuscan Raiders that we were big fans of. Good and point. We, and the Tuscans yep. have kind of been left behind as, oh, that's how Boba... Um, became who he became and made the decisions he made. But I think what I'm hoping for in my hope of hopes is that it really does look like Boba's going to lose, that he un that, that he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know how to run a crime family. And then he pulls some tricks because he is Boba Fett and he's smarter than maybe he let on. And maybe we do get some Tuscans showing up to have his back and we get some all-out battle. And I would be super down for that if that's the way things went. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all your points. I think those are all fun things to speculate about and what we're going to see in the next two episodes. I absolutely expect Din Djarin to come back in the next two episodes at some point. Black Chrysanthemum, the everything they've set up with Fennec, the Mod Gang and all of that. Is that going to be enough? Laura, the first the, when Laura just said that, it, it's the first time I thought that they might lose. That could be a very interesting part of this whole thing. And maybe they could make it, make him lose in a way that doesn't take any shine off Boba, which Michael brings up an excellent point. If we just give more ammunition to people who are saying, what have you done to my Boba? Uh, so I, I could see that happening, but um, I also see Crimson Dawn at some point, some, something here. Yeah. Not, having Kira, not having Kira would be such a mistake. Listen, Gotta have if, one they, if, if they get to the end of this season and Amelia Clark walks on screen, I'm, I'm in. I'm yeah. in for season two. Sold. All in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's got to be something like that. I mean, if you can get, if you can get uh, um, Viola Davis to come back on screen in Peacemaker, you sure as hell can have uh, Kira show up, for God's sakes, at the end of the Book of Boba Fett. There's enough money in the Disney coffers to pay for that, for, uh, for God's sakes. All right. Anyway, there you go. There's our spoiler review episode of episode five, The Return of The Mandalorian, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, written by John Favreau, from us here at the Geek Buddies, um, what do we have to tell them? You can follow us. Uh, oh, I should spoil Geek underscore buddies on uh, Instagram and the underscore geek underscore buddies there on Twitter or vice versa there. You see it on the screen. Mikey, uh, what do we have to tell them? 
Uh, well, if you enjoyed us doing this and you enjoy us talking geeky stuff, we sure enjoy doing it and we want to keep doing it. And here's how you can help us. Um, you can hit that like button below. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page right over there. Uh, you can leave us some comments. What did you think of this? Were you excited to get an All Mando episode? Were you wanting more Boba? Were you wanting less Boba? Did you feel like this fit in with everything else? Do you feel like it stuck out? Where do you think things are going to go? Is Boba going to win? Is he going to lose? Are we going to see Tuskins? Are we going to see Amelia Clark? Who knows? Let us know what you think in the comments below. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere where podcasts are available, please take a minute to leave us some stars and some comments because it helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find us under entertainment podcasts. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it to your socials, and tell everybody to check out the Geek Buddies because, hey, we're a really fun, good time. That's right. You can follow Mike at MK2. You can follow me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. Laura, thanks again for joining us as you have every week for these reviews. Here on the Book of Boba Fett, please tell people where they can find you and everything you got going on. You can find me on Twitter at shutup underscore Laura. I am more active there than on Instagram, but I'm at that same handle there. And find the podcast that I host, Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour on Twitter and Instagram at Force Toast Pod. And when Boba Fett wraps, John and I will be back with more episodes of The Jedi Way. So be on the lookout for that. Absolutely, for sure. And once again, a big shout out to Carbon Health, the leading national health care provider with a mission to bring high quality health care to everyone for sponsoring and powering this episode of the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. Overall, they've got urgent care, primary care, virtual care, and certainly they probably could have helped Mando out with that dark saber shot he took to the leg for sure because they have 90 clinics in 14 states and they offer virtual care in 24 states. They believe that everyone, whether you're a Rodian, a Clatoonian, or a Bo uh, or Boba Fett, deserves good health and they make high-quality health care accessible for everyone. So go to www.carbonhealth.com and see if there's a place near you and they're doing testing now for COVID and they're doing testing if you're going to go overseas, which helps you get overseas without any kind of hassle there as well. All right, that's it from us. Y'all take care of yourselves. Big shout out to our brother, Shannon McClung. He'll be joining us next week for sure. And we'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode here from the Geek Buddies. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.